0: I love that song and it's a good introduction to the sermon today because we're starting a series um, in our lead up to Easter uh, called uh, What Do You See? Uh, And as Helen's poem aptly illustrated for us, um, we're asking that question again and again and again. Uh, What do you see? Uh, And particularly as we lead into Easter uh, and come to um, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Um, We're wanting and, and really praying that that as we you know once again, one more time for many of us, um for, for some of us, this is you know, we're racking up into the fifty, sixtieth time um where, where we've done this thing. Uh but our prayer is that there would be new new insight and uh new um a new experience in it as we, we're able to see something. Um, that maybe we've never seen before, or maybe reminded of something we need to be reminded of. And so as we go through the Gospel of Mark, um, we're asking this question, and today uh, we're looking um, at what does Jesus see? And in coming weeks we'll be looking at what others see um, throughout it. Um, And so we're going to start in uh, Mark chapter 2. But to set some context, Mark chapter 1, Mark's gospel is the shortest of the gospels and it really, he doesn't muck around, he just gets to the point, he's punchy. He's, uh, he doesn't tell you history, just boom. And so in Mark chapter 1, you've got like eight little stories, just boom, 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 one after the other. That they're just a punchy, in, each one of them telling us something really significant about who Jesus is. He's just right off the bat, he's wanting us to see that Jesus is different and Jesus is unique. And so uh, we, we read of um, John the Baptist and... And how John speaks of this one who will come, who is uh, greater than he is. And John is uh, not even worthy to tie this guy's shoes like he's so great. Uh, we see the baptism of Jesus where the Spirit himself testifies to who Jesus is, descends upon Jesus. Where the Father speaks from heaven saying, this is my Son whom I'm well pleased. And, and again, testifying to, to there's something unique about, about Jesus. We see Jesus going and um, getting his first disciples. As he calls them, and, and the disciples, as as they drop everything, um, drop everything to follow him. Again, testify to to his right to to be called a rabbi and to be followed. We see that he uh, he goes and, and leaves the area where he begins his ministry, and, and enters into Capernaum. We're very specifically told this. And as he enters Capernaum, he begins teaching, and this is where we get that that bit about. The crowd being amazed and stunned, like, oh my goodness, um, we've never heard someone teach with such authority. Like, who is this guy? And so his very words um, testify to who he is. We see um, him casting out demons. Um, and the demons saying what do you want with us and uh, showing respect to him and again testifying to wow this Jesus is unlike anyone we've ever encountered. Uh, He performs miracles in the town of Capernaum healing the sick and uh, casting out demons. Uh, All that were brought to him he he healed um, we're told. Uh, He then leaves Capernaum And as he leaves, we're told that that word spreads fast. Um, People start to talk a lot uh, about what's going on. And several days later, he returns to Capernaum. So you can only imagine what's happened in those several days, can't you? Um, We're told in uh, Matthew one thirty two, we read, um, That evening, this is while he's in Capernaum, uh, After sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. He's still wanting to be a little secretive about who he is at this point. But you see, the whole town has gathered. I mean, this was big news. This was entertainment. Um, You can imagine if some guy's going around healing instantly everybody, you know, just boop, boop, boop. Yep, you can see, you can walk, you can... Um, speak you can um, I don't know what whatever your problem is but I don't know you're healed of it um, like he's just healing everybody left front center casting out demons I mean people there there was a buzz around the town so much so everybody's there gathered um, to, to witness what is taking place and so he then goes away for a few days and, and while he's gone um, you know what are people talking about they're talking about this thing I mean Canberra sells out a toilet paper and we're talking about it for weeks. Um, I mean, here's this guy doing the miraculous. I mean, they're talking about it. Um, they, they've got nothing better than to do than to talk about what's happened. I mean, it's not like they've got Netflix that they can go binge on. Um, they are just fixated on this Jesus thing. So he goes, now all of a sudden this guy that was, was big news has come back to town. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 2. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, we read this. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralysed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralysed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralysed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. And I think that last statement there, we've never seen anything like this before, is really, you know, I, I can see Mark going, oh, yeah, that'll get him, that's clever. Um, because he's wanting us to see something. He, he's making a point. This is, this is something new, this is something um, that has not been seen before. It's different, but it's also intentional. And, and it is significant what's happened here. You see, Jesus has done this plenty of times before. They've brought the paralyzed to him. Um, we just read. Um, in Mark 1, plenty of times. They've brought all their paralysed to him and he's healed them all. And each and every time they bring him in, they go, yep, you're healed, Danny, they get up walk away. But here something different takes place, something new happens. They invite uh, the, the, the crowd into this, whoever's house it is, and it's packed. It's packed. And so packed they can't get the paralysed man to him. But four friends um, of this guy bring him, they, they Tear a hole in this poor guy's roof and lower him down. Now that's new. That's a, oh, well, we haven't seen that that before. Um, that that's interesting. Um, but when he gets there and is presented to him, now that, Jesus doesn't speak to them. We're told he doesn't talk to them. He doesn't interact with them. He doesn't look up at the guys and go, "Hey guys, what do you want?" Um, you know, pretty obvious. He, he he reads the situation. Goes, "Okay, here we go again. Stand up, pick up your mat and walk. You don't. No, nobody doesn't do that." It's what everyone's expecting because that's what's happened again and again and again. But this time he stands there and Jesus goes, right, now's the time. And he does something different and it is significant and it's intentional. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is shocking. Just so we know how shocking it is and how different it is, Mark in the story tells us the response from the, the religious teachers. They sit there, they don't yell it out. They just turn to each other and go, blasphemy, can you believe what he just said? This is unbelievable. Like they, they're talking to each other and this is incredible, I can't believe he just said that. This is, this is outrageous because you need to understand that, that in their culture, in their day, to, to blaspheme was a, a, a crime worthy of death. Uh, this is something you just don't do to, to to blaspheme God, and the blasphemy he was committing was of the highest order, uh, because let's face it, there's only one person who can forgive sins. There's only one, and that is God, and God has told you how to forgive sins. There's a whole ritual you've got to go through. There's a whole temple. There's a whole lot of, of there's a whole priesthood dedicated to to helping you get forgiveness of sins. So when you do the wrong thing, you are to go to the, the temple. You're to, to bring your sacrifice and you're offering you're to give that to the priest. The priest will then mediate between you and God and then God will declare you're forgiven. That's how it works. And yet here's this guy who just, you're forgiven like that? Re, re, let's just throw out our, our law. Let's throw out our rituals and our practices and, and, and our temple and God. Let's just throw, and, and, and what's more, not only do we do away with all of that, now you're saying... That you can forgive sins? Like, you were declaring forgiveness? Like, only God can do that. How can you do this? No, they are furious. No wonder they're saying, this is something new. This is, oh, this, hey, you're just meant to forgive the guy. Uh, you're, not, you're not meant to forgive him. You're meant to just heal the guy. Um, but Jesus, of course, knows what they're saying, and he picks up on it immediately, and he says, you know, so guys, and he puts them to the test. says, so answer me this. What's easier? To say your sins are forgiven? Or to heal him. Now it's not a trick question. It's not a trick question. It's pretty obvious, okay? You're meant to, to know the answer immediately, um, because to be honest, I can say your sins are forgiven. I can even say it, um, and and people sort of look in the room, and go, I don't know. Did it happen? Did, did, is he forgiven? I don't know. I missed. I, I missed it. <laughs> is he forgiven? <laughs> like, it's easy to say it. Uh, what's easier for me to to say that? And and you can't prove it or test it, you don't, you don't know. Um, or is it easier to say to this paralyzed man? Who, let's face it, we're bought by three friends, uh, four friends. I mean, he, the, the four guys on the roof can say that they can testify and say, yeah, no, he's legitimately paralyzed. Um, it's a small town. It's not like Canberra. Um, we've got friends staying with us um, from Sydney, and they said to us last night, "Oh, uh, by the way, guys, have you bumped into to Tim, our friend?" Am I going... No, of course not. It's Canberra. Like, no, I, I don't bump into to everybody. Um, but back then, they would have. Everybody knew this guy who was paralysed. And so, is it easier for, to, to get this guy, who's, who we all know is paralysed, is it easier for me to say to this guy, get up and walk, and for him to walk out? Now, of course, the answer's easy. It's like, well, of course, that's a lot harder. Because if he doesn't stand up and walk, then we, we know you are powerless. We, we know we can't trust what you say. So it's a pretty easy question. And of course, he then goes, well, watch this. Stand up and walk. Uh, Guy picks up his mat and walks out. What's the lesson? Well, if I've got the power to do this, if I can do this, if it's very clear that throughout all the ministry I've done in this town already plus the, 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 the bit of work I did outside of the town, if you've seen the divine power of God working through me, if you have seen that the Spirit of God rest upon me, if the Father speak my name, if you've seen me command the demons and cast them out and work against the powers of evil, if you've seen all this, if you know that I've got the divine stamp of authority from God on my life uh, and you see that, then why won't you trust me in this? Why won't you trust me in that? And it is different. It is new, it's significant, and it's very intentional. And, and with this act, Jesus, and I think Mark wants us to see, that Jesus is saying something. He, he's now saying, hey, look, world, I haven't come just to be your doctor. I haven't come just to heal the sick. I haven't done that. I have come to deal with the real problem. The problem the world really is facing. That this is the problem I've come to deal with and that problem is sin and so I think that's what we're meant to see here Jesus comes to deal with the problem of sin um, now do you know what sin is? do you know what sin is? Uh, what, what, what is it to be a sinner? If, if you were to ask someone what's a sinner um, what would they say? You might get lots of different answers, wouldn't you? If you ask, Now, if you ask someone who's churched, you'd get a very different answer to someone who's not churched. Uh, there may even be people. Um, I, I dare say there'd be a few people out there who'd go, I've no idea. Um, I don't use the word sin. Never heard it before. We like to think everybody's heard the word gospel, Jesus, sinner. Uh, there are people who've never heard it. Um, what's a sinner? Some people, most people might say, oh, a sinner's just someone who's not perfect. that That's... You know, that'd be acceptable. Most people would kind of agree with that. And, and to some degree, they're right. A sinner is someone who is, has missed the mark. To, to sin is to miss the mark, to fall short. And so to, on some level, um, when we miss the mark, we, we're not, we, haven't got, we haven't got a 10 out of 10. We're, we've, we're not perfect. And so it's acceptable to say that. But, it, but it's more than that. It's not just that you're not perfect. Uh, because sin is a relational problem. Because all sin, the scriptures would tell us, is against God. Whenever we sin, we sin against God. How can that be? Because sin in the scriptures, when we break God's rules, we break the law. And the law is itself an extension of God. God, being holy and righteous and the creator of all things, gave us the law to live by. And it's an extension of him. It is holy and it is righteous and it is good. And it tells us what it is to be that. And so it's very much him. When we break that... We, we are coming into to conflict with God, with who he is. And so we can talk about sin being a, a breaking of the law. Uh, and that made a lot of sense for Jesus um, when he talked about sin and used that word, when he talked about the law and how we break the law. Because in his day, when he was ministering on earth, everybody knew that. Everybody knew the law. Everybody knew the word sin and what it meant. And everybody knew how to deal with sin. You go to the temple, you offer sacrifices. Blood of the sacrifice covers your sin and, and God gives you forgiveness. Everybody knew that. That the people of God knew God. They, they accepted there is a God, there's a creator. That, that was never questioned. That was never doubted. And so when people talked about these things, when Jesus came to talk about them, you know, oh, your sins are forgiven, they knew exactly what he meant. But in our day and age, we, we don't. We live in a world that doesn't know what sin is they don't know there's a problem with sin we live in a world that that doesn't even acknowledge there's a god Uh, we replace sin with with sickness and and illness um, and instead of salvation we just need therapy that's the world we live in how do you talk about sin in a world like ours what's a good thing the bible talks a lot about sin (laughs) it helps us see it from different angles. And there's lots of ways it talks about sin. So it can talk about breaking the law. uh, But in Romans uh, chapter 1, it talks about it in a different way. Uh, And I guess Romans 1 is is building off of of the Ten Commandments. So when we think of the Ten Commandments, which are the, the law of God, you've got ten. But what I want to suggest is the first two really help us understand the rest of them. And the first two commandments. The first commandment is... You shall have no other God but me. That's it. I'm God. Uh, And the second one's like it. um, You shall not worship false idols. You should not uh, make idols out of created things. Uh, Which is really what it's saying. It's saying there is one creator. There's one thing over all of creation. That is me. Everything else is created. Why would you worship created things when there's the one who made that thing? Why would you do that? You esteem this thing and say, this thing's the greatest thing. And it's so, well, actually, there's someone who made that. Aren't they greater? It just makes sense. And so those two commandments help us understand and make sense of all And So the Old Testament would speak of idolatry. Uh, here in Romans, uh, Paul would speak ab- about the things we worship and the things that we serve. Uh, and in chapter 1, verse 25, this is what he has to say. About it. This is how he talks about the the sin of the world. He says, They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. So they worshipped and served things. This is a way we can speak about sin. that, That sin, when we sin, we replace God. Now, worship and serving we were all made, There is something in all of us that naturally serves and worships. Something we all, we're all created, we're created to do that. Which kind of makes sense if there is a creator who creates things that should worship. So he creates us so that we naturally do worship. Problem is, we don't worship God, we worship other things. Uh, and we can see that. The Bible would talk about the desires, that that, that we all have desires. And when you, seek to fulfill those desires in the wrong things that that's idolatry uh, and we all have desires and so we all go to seek to satisfy those desires and therefore we are all mastered or we all seek to serve those those desires to satisfy them question is what what is it that you are seeking to satisfy or what where do you look to what do you look to for satisfaction what is your idol what is it now you can have that conversation, I think people get that. What's most important? What do you value most? Is it your health? Is it security? Is it money? Is it your family? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids? What is it? Is it your car? Is it your possessions? Is it your home? Is it your career? Is it prestige? Is it your honour? Is it your reputation? What is it? What is it that you desire most... That, that means every decision in your life goes to serving that one thing. There might not be one thing. It can often be multiple things we serve. Tim Keller puts it this way. Tim Keller was asked to, um, to talk about, you know if you were talking to some a modern-day young person about sin, how would you, you have that conversation? And he says this, Sin isn't only bad doing bad things. It's more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than on God. And whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily idolatry. I like that. Sin isn't only doing bad things. You know, there's sins of omission and commission. So commission, things, sins we commit. You can do the wrong thing. But you can also sin by not doing the right thing when you need, needed to. You didn't reach out, you didn't help, you didn't love. It's fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Now, who's going to deny here that it's good to be healthy? It's good to be healthy, it's good to be, eat well, it's good to exercise. They're good things, aren't they? But when we seek to to make an idol out of that, when we think, I'm, the best way I can live is to to be as fit as I can, healthy as I can, and so we dedicate our time and our money and our energy and our thoughts in, into that. Um, we're going to the gym, we're exercising, and, and, and nothing can interfere with that. You know, I've got to have my routine. I've got to I've got to do this. We make an idol out of it. It's a very good thing, but it shouldn't ever be the thing. I think it's a good way of talking about it. I think it's a good way to to speak about sin. Because when you talk about sin being breaking the law, and and that's what we Christians like to talk about, and and you can, it's true, but when you talk to someone like that, it it just rubs you the wrong way, doesn't it? Have you ever had anyone come and say, oh, you're doing the wrong thing, breaking the law? It's like a finger-pointing thing. And the other problem with it, when we talk about breaking law, that it doesn't really impact modern-day Pharisees. What do I mean by that? that? There are some of us who think we're good. We think, I do all the right things. And so when we talk about oh, sin being breaking the law, I go, well, that's good, because I don't break the law. I'm good. Uh, and there's plenty of people like that, inside and outside of church. Um, I always do what's right. I follow my heart. And so when we speak at law-breaking, it, it doesn't mean it. But, but everybody can talk about the things that are most important to them, the things they value, the things that 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 control their desires, the things they're trying to, to seek satisfaction in. So I think it's a helpful way of speaking about sin in our day and age. But there's more than than this that, that Mark wants us to see in this passage, I think, as we keep reading, because he acts, adds another little story on. Because you can talk about sin... To people. You can talk about sin, but but there's a way you can talk about it. There's a way you can treat sinners. And so as we read on, Mark 2, verse 13. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. I love that bit. You know, I'm, I'm throwing a party, so um, please come, disreputable sinner. You, know, you don't put that on, on invitations, do you? Um, it, it's not the thing. You know, as far as Levi was concerned, he was just inviting some friends and colleagues um, along. And, and yet... Uh, you know. There were lots of people like this, reputable sinners, uh, disreputable sinners. Uh, but when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Now, I, I, what a word, such scum. Um, I don't know if you think about it, what, what does scum mean? Um, I've got a fish tank at home. And that fish tank, of course, as my fish go and eat the food that I give them, and then they poop, and that it just it dirties the water. And what starts to build up on the glass is scum, uh, pond scum. Now, now there's only one thing you can do with scum. There's only one appropriate thing to do with it, and that is just wipe it off. Uh, it shouldn't be there. It serves no purpose. It's it's harmful. It's a waste of space. It ruins everything. Um, so, you just get rid of it. you just wipe it, you, you wipe it off, you wipe it away and, and that 's what the pharisees are, are, are saying about people they're saying, they 're saying these scum what 's he eating with this scumful? They are just a smear upon the planet. They serve no purpose, they have no value. they are worthless and useless. They just need to be wiped off the face of the earth that 's what they 're saying there, and I think Mark here is contrasting. For us, different responses to, to sinners, because you can talk about sinners in a very "you sinner," you. In, in my mind, I don't know. I put three words together all the time: "you dirty, rotten sinner." Anyone else put those three together? Or was it just me? Oh, no, I thought I was taught it. Obviously, I've just picked it up uh, myself and put it together. Um, but yeah, but, but the world sees that. The church is a bit like that, isn't it? Like these Pharisees that the, we, we keep pointing the finger and saying, "you dirty, rotten sinners," and that's the tone. It's that you sinners, you, the, you are sinners, you are sinful. And, and no one likes that. No one likes that. And people think we're like that. And, we, and some of us can be at times, I guess. We can be like the Pharisees and we can point the finger and go, look at those sinners over there, those disreputable sinners, those scum. They like that. But I think here, Mark contrasts it for us. And he's contrasting it, we've got to remember, with Jesus. Who is God? Does God point the finger and go, I've come to save sinners. That's what I've come to do. I've come to forgive sin. He's made the declaration. And you lot are sinners, the worst sinners. Is that, that what he does? Let's see what he says. Verse 17. When Jesus heard this, so he's just heard them go, this scum. He told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. I've come to call sinners. What does does that mean? I've I've come to call them. It means he's come to to invite them to be part of his family. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? I gonna pick these people you think are scum, and I'm gonna say, actually, no. I want to call you brother. I want to call you sister. I want you to come in my home and I want you to live with me forever. Let's, spend, let's hang out. Um, this is what he's come to do. That The Gospels testify to this again and again. John's Gospel, 3.16, will, will tell us that for God so loved the world, he, he loved this scum so much that, that he came to the world to, to save it, to, to rescue it, to lay down his life for them. This is the love of God. I think here, Mark, is contrasting for us the Pharisees and Jesus. He says, no, no, no. We're never to approach sin and and sinners with this finger of of condemnation, of uh, this finger of judgment. We're never to be like that. We're to come in love. Jesus comes to save us, to set us free, to make sure that that while we are trapped in our sin and we are sinful, and, and, and let's face it, Jesus is really honest about that. Jesus doesn't deny this sin. He doesn't gloss over it. He doesn't say, oh, you're not that bad. Looking at you, Andrew. Yeah, I'm just conscious of that. You looked up, eye contact. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about all of us. Yeah, 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 You're not that bad. Like he, he doesn't pretend like we're better than we are. He goes, no, 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 you're sinful. There's sin. You've broken the law, you've fallen short, you've taken your eyes off God, you are pursuing satisfaction in things that are not God, you have replaced the Creator with the created. You've sinned, all right? He's honest about that. But there's no condemnation, there's no judgment in that. I've I've talked to you about this before, uh, about the difference between guilt and, and shame. God certainly wants us to feel guilt, there's some people, and maybe it's a language thing, but I want our language to be the same. I want us to be clear about this. We should never be afraid to talk about guilt. Guilt is a good thing. Guilt, guilt is right to feel. Um, who's ever felt guilt? Good, you should. God made you to feel guilt. When you do the wrong thing, you should feel guilty. Now, now half you should feel guilty every time we have a lunch here, particularly a potluck lunch. Because I wait to the very end. I'm always in the last 10 people to go through. And I tell you, there is never any. Who makes the chili? Who makes the chili? Who is it? Is it Kath? Is it? They're not even here. I'll have to save this one for next week. Um, won't even be What an awesome chili that is. I love it. There's never any left. I have to get a bit of bread or dregs of something else and just wipe it around just to get a taste of it. You people need to repent. You should feel guilty as you look back and go, "Look at the queue behind me." I don't care. <laughs> One people, even a half, you know, spoonful. Guilt helps us understand we've done the wrong thing. It's natural. It is a good thing. God's made us to feel guilty. That's a natural thing. We shouldn't be afraid to talk about guilt. Or when someone says, I feel guilty. Oh, you shouldn't feel guilty. Guilty is awful. Of course we should feel guilty. Now, shame is a different kettle of fish. Who's ever felt shame? It's awful, isn't it? It's awful. Guilt says you've done something wrong, but it's all right. There's hope. You can change. You can fix it. You can repent. You're worthy of forgiveness. You're still valuable. You're still a child of God. It's fine. Shame says you did the wrong thing and aren't you awful you're pathetic you're worthless you don't deserve love you 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 don't deserve forgiveness why would anybody bother with you again you know we, we're never to put shame on people they're two very different things and, and here you see the pharisees seeing sin and shaming look at that scum but jesus goes no 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 these are people i'm calling into my family they I'm, I'm about to adopt them into my family what are you talking about there's no guilt. They're worthy. They're valuable. They're image bearers of God. They have sinned. Yeah, absolutely. But they're worthy. We need to, to, to be clear about that. And that's the heart of God here. Now, the world is pretty good at recognising sin. All of us. you know, it, it, We have to face a harsh reality. All of humanity. If we look back at the last century, the, the 20th century... It was the the bloodiest and most murderous century that we've ever experienced on earth more people died uh, more people were killed more people were traumatized tortured displaced made homeless um, abused than than any other century now mostly because there were more people than any other century who've lived but because of wars because of people And and, and you can't sit there and look at at that history and then sit here and go, but we're good, humans are good. Because you've got to look back and go, wow, those people who did all that belong to my species. They're me. There's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with us. And so most worldviews will identify with that. So when we break down kind of very simply. Um, so the, the Eastern, Eastern worldview, uh, we'll use Buddhism as an example. So Buddhism is very good at identifying evil, identifying sin, and saying, yeah, there is something wrong with the world. There is pain, there is suffering. It's very good at that. It, it, it Clearly, it unpacks and goes into detail about how we actually experience suffering and pain and, uh, because it is, it is consumed with getting away from it and, and, and putting an end to it. How does it do that? Well, it says, well, you can't in this life. This life just is pain and suffering. The way to escape all of that is to escape this world. Escape this life. It may take you thirty five thousand attempts as you come back again and again and again to experience pain and suffering over and over again in this life, but eventually you may be able to escape it and uh and find peace. They they acknowledge it really well, but there's no hope for this world. You've then got the West. Now, I might split the Western perspective into two. You've sort of got your, your religious Western perspective and your secular Western perspective. So your Western secular perspective, um, again, identifies that there, there is evil. There, there is, we, we hate injustice. We hate wrongdoing. Um, we hate inequality. We hate these things that we see and not fair and unjust in the world and and secularists can, can be really good, really heroic in the way they fight against the, the wrongdoings and the pain and suffering of this world. They, they can. But again, we, then there's no hope. It'll just keep on going. What, what's the solution? What's the answer? We can fight against it. We can try and stop it. And we can hope against hope that humans will just get better and better. But do they? I think history would prove otherwise. Then you've got the Western... Religious perspective, I'll use Christianity um, and talk about that. Again, it recognises there is this problem of sin. Recognises it, acknowledges it. No one has a problem with it. We just need to get better at talking about what we mean by that. They see the world's broken, it's not good, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. But it gives hope. We see here in Jesus, he says, I have come to deal with the sin. I've come to show that you can break free from that. That there is a new way of living. That you don't have to be trapped by your sin nature. Constantly uh, rebelling against the law of God. Constantly turning from God. But you can work in balance with the creator of the universe. That you can uh, be a force for good and righteousness and holiness. That you need to know what that looks like and work with God in that. That God can forgive your sin. That the relationships can be restored that forgiveness can take place, that there can be restoration of what was once lost. This is all stuff that is available in the Gospel. So the world's really good at seeing the sinfulness, the brokenness. But it's not very good at offering a solution. And that's why it's so significant that Jesus here says, I've come to forgive sin. I've come to to deal with all the problems of the world. And you go, wow. That's a big call, um, and yet he makes it. And what does he want us to see here? Well, I think there's a few things he wants us to see. We could see lots of things in this, but for me, as he comes and declares this, and he, um, for those who have given their their life to Jesus, who've put their trust in Him, I think there is a challenge here. That is, um, he wants us to see that that he has set us free from sin, that we are forgiven. That when we took on Christ, we took on a new nature. Uh, The scriptures will tell us that our old nature, that sinful nature, has been put to death. And we've put on Christ. We've put on a new nature. Uh, And and there is new creation there. We are different. We are new. We no longer are bound by by sin. And and I think for us as, as Christians, every day we need to live in that reality. Every day we need to put on Christ. And we need to wake up in the day and go, you know what? I am not bound by sin. I am free and I am God, so I belong to Him. And I am a child of the King, and I'm part of His kingdom, and I'm going to live today pleasing Him, seeking my satisfaction in Him, desiring Him and what He wants. I mean, that's a daily thing. Because let's face it, you're going to fall. We will sin, won't we? And there's a sense where we are still sinners, but we're not. We're freed from that. we to think of ourselves not as sinners. But there's others of us who probably... Maybe have never got to the point where we've said, you know what, I'm going to, to stop serving the things I'm serving and I'm going to start serving the Creator. I'm going to start fixing my eyes on God and following Him. And for those who, who haven't done that yet, then there's that challenge. You go, well, where are you getting satisfaction? Where, you, where are you putting your hope? What are you pursuing? Is it the Creator or is it the created? Where is your hope? Maybe today's a day you've been challenged on that and you need to go, I think it's time I get my priorities right. Start seeking the one who can save, the one who created me, the one who knows me best. To start serving this Jesus who has the power to heal the sick and, and make the lame walk and cast out demons. And if he can do all of that, then maybe he can forgive my sins. Maybe he can restore relationship with him. Maybe he can offer eternal life. Lots to think about, lots to see as we go through the rest of the, the gospel. I'm sure we'll be challenged lots in, in how we see things. But let's pray. Father God, thank you that um, you are the creator God. and uh, be not just creator, uh, you are the sustainer. You are also the, the saviour. That, that you love your creation so much that, that you wouldn't see it remain broken as we've turned from you. But you've gone out of your way because of your love to save us. And thank you from the very beginning. Mark makes that clear. That Jesus has come to save. That we can be saved that there is a hope for this world not to flee from it or escape it that this world can be transformed that when you return you will bring a new heaven and a new earth that we will live free of sin in perfect relationship with you in perfect relationship with one another we thank you that there's that hope that promise you've made to us It's unique, we don't get it anywhere else. It is something new and it's intentional and it is significant. Help us to see it more clearly, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.